be speaking with Michael Mulligan from Mulligan Defense Lawyers as we practice our best social distancing protocols, speaking by phone today. Michael, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. Now, I've been curious. How are the courts responding to all of these concerns regarding COVID-19? Well, there's been a flood of emails and announcements to lawyers over the past few days in terms of how the courts are responding. Uh, and they, there are in British Columbia, there is a provincial court system, which handles the majority of criminal cases as well as small claims and uh, family or many family cases. And then we have the uh, British Columbia Supreme Court system, which would deal with larger civil claims, uh, very serious criminal matters and so forth. Each of those two levels of court have been issuing their own uh, announcements about how they're dealing uh, with uh, COVID-19 and uh, how they're responding to it. And there are some elements of that that I think that it's important for the public to know about. So uh, the latest announcement, which came out uh, at the end of the day yesterday from the B.C. Supreme Court, uh, advises that witnesses, lawyers, and jurors should not attend court for trials on any matter scheduled between today, March 19th, and May the 1st, 2020, unless specifically directed to do so by the court. Um, so that's important to know if you've got a, a jury selection notice, for example, telling you to show up uh, between March 19th and May the 1st, uh, the direction is not to do that for pretty obvious reasons. You don't want to force 12 strangers to be in a, a room together given the current state of affairs. Um, the uh, provincial court uh, has uh, also uh, made the decision to uh, adjourn all uh, family and criminal matters uh, that are scheduled between slightly different dates. For, for family matters, they've, uh, the provincial court has chosen to um, adjourn uh, family case conferences and uh, other family matters, anything scheduled between March 16th, which is passed, and May the 4th. Uh, those are going to have to be scheduled uh, into the future. Uh, and then for uh, criminal matters in provincial court, uh, they have uh, decided to administratively adjourn uh, trials for people who are not in custody, and I'll come to that in a moment, uh, scheduled between now and May the 16th. So that would mean that uh, trials presumptively uh, before the, uh, May the 16th won't be uh, proceeding as scheduled. They're being adjourned till June when new dates will be fixed. Uh, both levels of court have also um, set in place uh, procedures to deal with um, some matters which are considered uh, urgent. Uh, they would include things, for example, in the criminal context, like people who are in jail uh, waiting for their trial, uh, or people who have been arrested and are awaiting a bail hearing, for example. Those would be examples of uh, cases which uh, would proceed unless a judge uh, agrees that it would be appropriate to adjourn them. Uh, both levels of court have also um, set out procedures where there could be uh, an application brought that would be sent in electronically by email or fax uh, and then have a judge determine uh, whether something is of such urgency that it needs to uh, proceed despite the general um, uh, adjournment of cases. And it's important that we have that because the court system, of course, uh, is a requirement for a proper sort of uh, functioning uh, of a constitutional democracy. Yes. Uh, you can't have a circumstance where it's impossible to go to court for a remedy. 
um, and uh, many of the fundamental um, things that we need to, uh, that we have uh, protections for in a uh, in our country are enforced by going to court. Of course, um, we haven't yet seen, for example, what exactly the government plans to say in terms of uh, border closings. Yeah. But in that regard, we all need to bear in mind, of course. Uh, you have a constitutional right to enter Canada if you're a Canadian citizen. Um, so it would be surprising to me if the whatever is announced there would uh, prevent that from occurring, and that would be the sort of thing where if they uh, did try to prevent a Canadian citizen from getting back in, it would be important that there be a, a court process available so somebody could, uh, in theory at least, make some application to permit that. Um, the... Uh, Supreme Court has set out uh, a list of things which would presumptively be the sort of urgent and essential um, matters in addition to those in-custody things, like if you've been arrested and you're awaiting a, a bail hearing to determine if you're going to get out, uh, or if your uh, trial is scheduled for next week and you've been waiting in jail for nine months for your trial, um, it would be awfully unsatisfactory if the response was, I'm terribly sorry, you're going to be there till June, uh, right? that's not uh, acceptable. So the other list of things which are given as examples of urgent uh, matters which uh, on application to a judge uh, could proceed would be things like orders under the Quarantine Act, orders under the Public Health Act, um, other things which uh, would prima facie be uh, urgent uh, would include things like um, uh, applications dealing with end of life or refusal to provide treatment. Uh, individuals who would be detained under the Mental Health Act and would be challenging that. Yes. Uh, matters like, uh, you just mentioned earlier, dealing with things like evictions yes. or, or stays of orders uh, under the Residential Tenancy Act. That would be another example of something which would presumptively be urgent, right? If, let's say, there was a uh, an order made that somebody be evicted and they're wishing to appeal that, there has to be a mechanism to deal with that rather than saying you're waiting till June, by that point it's over. Other things would include urgent injunction applications, civil restraining orders, um, and then there'd be a whole list of things um, which would often be dealt with in provincial court, for example, in the family context, things like uh, child protection matters, right? Yeah. Um, you know, what do you do if there are uh, urgent matters dealing with uh, parenting or access to children uh, or urgent issues dealing with the well-being of a child or the need for child protection cases? Um, those would be other examples of things which would be um, so urgent uh, that there would need to be some provision made to hear them. Um, and uh, both courts have suggested uh, modified processes for conducting some of those hearings, things like, where possible, conducting hearings uh, by telephone uh, or using uh, video conferencing. Uh, and in fact, for uh, people who are in jail, uh, having their bail hearings, one of the presumptions would be to try to deal with those by way of a video link with the jail um, rather than having people uh, brought to the courthouse uh, for those uh, sort of hearings because of all of the challenges that might uh, present. Um, that brings us to another um, uh, urgent topic, which would be what what we are doing with people who are currently in uh, jail. Yes. Uh, the jails have, both uh, federal and provincial, have decided to suspend all uh, visits with inmates uh, out of a concern that you would wind up with infections in the jail. Uh, that's obviously not going to be a complete solution to that problem because we have other things like staff members who would be going in and out of jail, correctional officers. 
Um, and uh, you can imagine uh, how problematic it would be in a jail environment uh, if you were to see a disease like this uh, spreading uh, there. Yes. Uh, and you do have, even if you don't have visitors going into the jail, you would have, for example, uh, the uh, correctional officer who's going to be in the unit dealing daily with inmates who are all dealing with each other. Um, people aren't in a position to self-isolate uh, if they are in prison. They would have communal facilities for eating, uh, um, you know, showering, <laughs> all the sort of activities, and people are in a confined environment with staff coming in and out of the institution. Um, there have been in some places um, uh, releases of people who are in prison, um, Iran, for example, uh, decided to release, I think the last count was 50,000 people, and the most recent announcement was to, I think, pardon another 10,000 people uh, and let them out of jail. Uh, and there have been calls, uh, at least some calls for that, uh, in other provinces in Canada, uh, and we'll have to watch carefully um, through how this uh, progresses, because that is an environment where that could be a very serious problem, and where you could have uh, transmission occurring very easily. Yes. Um, and that would create uh, dangers not only for inmates, but uh, staff members uh, there. Uh, you can imagine what it would be like if your uh, job was a correctional officer uh, working in a unit in close proximity to people who are in custody, um, and you would have no ability to be self-isolating in any meaningful fashion. I want to take our first break. Michael Mulligan with us, as always. As we continue here at CFAX 1070... I want to bring Michael Mulligan back on the phone lines here. Michael, there's been a lot of talk over the past few days about emergency declarations and whatnot. Canada has laws that allow such powers to be used in extremely limited circumstances. How does all of that work? Yes. Uh, now, I should say, uh, I also wanted to mention before I get to that, I should say we talked about last week the uh, fact that British Columbia was the only province in Canada uh, not to have any protections in our employment standards legislation that prevented, prevents an employee from being fired uh, if they are um, sick um, or required to self-isolate. Um, I don't know whether the government was listening to us or not, uh, but it sounds like they're going to get the legislature back in a limited way on Monday. Um, and uh, from uh, the early reports of it, it sounds like they're going to pass uh, an amendment to the Employment Standards Act that uh, would correct that deficiency. So if that all goes ahead, uh, good on them. Uh, that, uh, to my mind, would be a, an improvement. Indeed. Now, um, you're quite right. We have, uh, we have emergency legislation both federally and provincially. Federally, we have the Emergencies Act, and provincially, we have the Emergency Program Act. Um, and uh, the Emergencies Act, the federal one, uh, would be the modern version of the War Measures Act that people will be familiar with from the FLQ crisis days with uh, Mr. Trudeau Sr. Now, the modern version of that act, the Emergencies Act, contemplates uh, four different possible kinds of emergency, uh, a war emergency, public order emergency, um, and the uh, one of the other forms of emergency there um, is an emergency called a public welfare emergency. The public welfare emergency is the one which would uh, potentially be relevant in the current circumstances. Um, it is one which can be uh, engaged if uh, there is a real or imminent um, threat caused by a disease in human beings, animals, or plants. Um, and 
the idea there is that um, if uh, an uh, emergency of that kind is declared, it then permits uh, quite broad um, powers pursuant to regulation uh, rather than requiring legislation to be passed, which would mean that you wouldn't have to have the House passing and debating in the ordinary way some of the things which would be provided for in this Act. Um, they would include things like establishing emergency shelters or hospitals or making emergency payments or making regulations dealing with the distribution of essential goods. Um, prohibitions on travel is one of the things listed there, but there are other ways that can be done as well. Now, this hasn't yet been used federally. Um, the Prime Minister was asked about that, and you know, I think his answer was to the effect of, well, we can do what we need to so far without engaging this. Um, the Federal Act, interestingly, um, in contrast with the Provincial Act, has a number of uh, safeguards and protections in it, uh, which provide for things like um, parliamentary oversight uh, if uh, it was viewed that this uh, Act was being used in some inappropriate way. Um, there are provisions there which would have a, a committee uh, of uh, MPs reviewing regulations, uh, uh, and if there was ever a time when the number in here is 10 members of the Senate or 20 members of the House of Commons um, signed a request and delivered it to the Speaker, they could force a, a debate and an end to uh, the use of um, the Emergencies Act if that was uh, viewed as uh, appropriate, an appropriate thing to do. Provincially, we have the Emergency Program Act, uh, and this one, uh, there was an announcement the other day that they were implementing uh, or using this um, this act. The Emergency uh, Program Act, the provincial one, um, is also uh, designed to permit um, various things to be done uh, by regulation or uh, orders of a, a minister um, in an emergency um, circumstance that would uh, be what we're currently going through would be included within what's contemplated there. That act uh, permits various things such as um, fixing of prices, rationing of food, clothing, or equipment, or medical supplies. Um, another interesting one there is authorizing or requiring any person to render assistance of a type that person is qualified to provide interesting, or, or that otherwise is or may be required to prevent, respond to, or alter the effects of an emergency or disaster. And so, you know, things have been talked about, um, like, uh, you know, what do you do if there is sort of overwhelming demand for medical services? And some adjustments have already been made to deal with things like uh, permitting uh, pharmacists to renew prescriptions without requiring people to go back to their doctor simply for the purpose of getting a prescription renewal. Uh, that seems entirely sensible. Yes. Uh, but you could imagine other um, things that somebody thought uh, might be required. You know, there's been talk in some places about um, the use of people who are recently retired medical professionals, for example. Um, and so uh, this act would contemplate things like, um, you know, directing people or authorizing people. Hopefully we've got people volunteering who are able to, to do that sort of work. Um, authorizing people to do things which they might not otherwise be authorized to do. Somebody who is, for example, a retired doctor, right, uh, or a retired nurse, something of that uh, sort. The language in here is very broad, as you would um, expect, uh, and so you could, for example, authorize uh, 
person who would be otherwise qualified to do things which they might not be able to do because they were retired, for example, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, or you could imagine uh, categories of people who, for example, might be um, you know, qualified somewhere else to provide some particular kind of assistance but don't have the qualifications in um, uh, British Columbia. Maybe they're not current or haven't applied to do them. Uh, this would authorize uh, uh, people to be permitted to, uh, to perform services which they uh, would be able to do. Um, it also also authorizes things like the evacuation of people. It authorizes things like uh, the use and entry into buildings or land. Um, I mentioned before uh, the issue of uh, procuring uh, medical uh, supplies or equipment. Yes. Um, although it's important to remember that you know somebody ordering something or, or writing it on paper or passing it in the house doesn't make that thing so. Right. I I must say I smiled a little bit. Uh, watching a, a announcement as to uh, the use of this act, and the language uh, was the effect of we're doing this to ensure supply chains function, for example. Yes. Well, you know, no order or regulation or act uh, causes physical things to occur. The things which cause physical things to occur are people doing them, producing them, and delivering them, and, and so forth. Precisely, right? yes. And so um, it's a little bit hollow if you think uh, that you know the language used the other day was, you know, I'm doing this to ensure the functioning of supply chains for medical supplies and so on. Well, it doesn't really have that uh, effect. Th those tasks and functions are performed by actual people, uh, not by people <laughs> directing or... Uh, ordering or passing legislation requesting that things be done. Um, and so we all need to bear that in mind with all of these things. Um, the other thing that's important to know, of course, uh, circling around to the issue of uh, the functioning of courts, um, the functioning of the uh, judicial system uh, is absolutely necessary to any of these other things having any real effect at all. Yes. Uh, because uh, if there's no functioning um, justice system there, uh, there is no meaningful way to enforce any of these um, things. You know, the, these acts, uh, the Emergency Act and the Emergency Program Act, um, you know, specify things like, well, you know, doing or failing to do something which is ordered constitutes an offense punishable by some amount of money or some period of time in jail. Indeed, it's 8 sub 1 sub J1, uh, I believe, on summary conviction of a fine not exceeding $500 or imprisonment not exceeding six months or both, that fine and imprisonment, or, and they even have an indictment section as well. Right, so how is that actually having any, how is that meaningful in any way at all uh, if you don't have a functioning um, justice system, right? Yeah. Uh, and so that's why it's so important that the uh, courts continue to function to deal with emergency matters. Um, I should also mention, um, the in terms of uh, dealing with emergency matters in courts, both levels of court have set out mechanisms to do that. Uh, however, with respect to some provincial courthouses, they are uh, completely closed uh, as a result of a, they describe it as a court participant, so an employee who works there, having been in contact with an individual who's tested positive for COVID-19. And as a result of that, there are, there's a list of several provincial courthouses which are uh, shut. Um, Campbell River is shut until March the 23rd. Uh, Chilliwack Provincial Courthouse is closed until further notice. Um, in addition, the Vancouver uh, Criminal Courthouse at 222 Main Street and the Downtown Community Court are also closed until further notice. And Nanaimo, 
um, is closed for that reason until March the 23rd. Um, so, um, again, there, there is a, a provision for um, emergency applications to uh, a judge to deal with emergency matters, uh, but those, particularly in those places, would have to be dealt with in some modified fashion by telephone or uh, electronic communication, video conference, something of that sort, uh, because uh, those locations that I've indicated are now physically uh, closed um, as a result of uh, concern about exposure there. 60 seconds left, Michael Mulligan. Anything else you'd like to touch upon in this week's segment? Um, no, it, it's an evolving thing, um, and uh, it, it's interesting to watch uh, how this has been responded to, both from a political legislative basis and also how the courts are responding to it. The courts, of course, are independent. They make their own determinations as to how these things are to be responded to, and uh, they're modifying that procedure. It feels like almost every day we receive these notices, uh, but it, it's apparent at both levels there uh, they're taking um, seriously their obligation to ensure that uh, the, the justice system, civil and criminal, both continue to function, uh, particularly for those uh, urgent matters, people in custody, child protection, all of those things that just uh, must be dealt with. Michael Mulligan with Mulligan Defense Lawyers, legally speaking every week here on CFAX 1070. A pleasure as always, Michael. Thank you for your time and your insight. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Bye now. You too.